Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. On this week's episode, we hear from Bethel worship artist and founder of the Burn 24-7, Sean Foyt. What's up, guys? Where's all the snow? Come on, my kids are excited to see it. Now, I'm, we're really, really, really honored to be here, and I was able to sneak my wife away um, to come on this trip, and uh, my daughter, who's here as well. And so uh, me and my daughter, Katura, she's my nine-year-old, we're off to India. Uh, we leave straight from Fargo, North Dakota, to Hyderabad, India. They just started a new nonstop. It's really cool from uh, Fargo to Hyderabad, India. Just kidding. We're going to take like 10 planes to get there. But we're going nonetheless. But I wanted Katur to come up here and sing a song with me. How about that? A good way to start off. Uh, this is her first time to India. It's been a dream of her heart to go there. And here's where Fargo ties into India. I know you were wondering that. And I'm about to build the connection right now. First of all, we're going to sing this song that we wrote together when we were here this summer. And, and, uh, every, do I? and every summer, uh, we write a song together when we're on our little family vacation. And the song that we wrote together uh, was here, actually, in Minnesota uh, on a dock at a lake house. And we, we, sang a, we wrote a song together called um, Land of the Living. And uh, I believe it's a prophetic song uh, over this region that we're going to take with us all the way to India. So it's a song kind of from this land that we're going to take to India. And we're really excited about that. You excited about that? Yes. Okay. Um, That video that we captured had over 5 million hits on Facebook. It was insane. It just went went viral. And so we want to play that song for you. But... This guitar right here was purchased by Chris. Where are you at, Chris? Somewhere around here. At a guitar shop. And I texted him. I said, bro, go buy a guitar. We are going to give a guitar from Fargo to a village in India. And, uh, and so I had him pick out this guitar. And I, I listen, I give these guitars away everywhere I go. I love them. They're little Martin uh, guitars, they sound amazing. They plug in and they're easily, tr- you know, they can put them on their back and ride on mopeds, you know, across the villages of India. And so this is going to be sent from Fargo, the song of the Lord. We're going to commission from this place and I'm going to play this song written in this land and we're going to take it with us to India. How does that sound? You guys get all that? Okay, so you ready? So y'all got to clap with us. One, two, one, two, three, four. It's your kindness all around me. This is the land of the living. It's your favor. Oh, I love you, God, with a 
Amazing. So fun. So I'm going to get with this little dancing unicorn on a plane and go to India. If you want to be a part of sewing this guitar into India, I, I don't believe in, um, like, this is the best, kind of one of the best little guitars you can buy. I don't believe in giving away um, crap guitars. And uh, the, largest, uh, w the largest prayer and worship movement on the earth right now is in India, and the Burn 24-7 is the largest prayer and worship movement. We have over 30, uh, 30 furnaces of worship and prayer. So what you guys did last night, we do that in 30 cities across India. And so um, I just got this text yesterday from our, our leader there on the ground. He goes, Sean, brother, bring us a guitar, please. We have all these worship leaders and no guitar. And so literally they will play this thing for 100 hours straight. And they'll just pass it on to the next person. Like, you know, so maybe we should get some strings. Thought about that. Might want to get some strings. Anyway, I, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I feel more awake um, in this service, thanks to four shots of espresso and the Holy Ghost. But I'm excited to have my wife here with me. We're on a really, really cool, crazy season right now. Some of you guys may have known I'm, I'm running for U.S. Congress. And... Um, it's funny how, thank you, it's funny how sometimes I think the church gets really weird with political things, and uh, we know how to engage in so many areas of culture, but politics, we don't really know how to engage with. And um, so our heart is maybe we can encourage people to engage, and it's, it's not like a, you know, Republican-Democrat thing, it's a kingdom thing. God's calling us to invade the spheres of society and to bring biblical values, to bring revival. And so that's what our heart is to do. And so anyway, thank you for journeying with us. Um, I, our, our, our prayer is that we, you know, uh, that maybe God would, you know, I've had three other friends that were inspired by our race um, agree to also run in their states. And so it would just be awesome to see. I mean, I'm in this because I want to bring worship into the capital. Like, why not bring the presence of God into the place where laws and policies are being created that affect the nations of the earth? And so we are running in California. Um, it is a crazy place, <laughs> very crazy place to be running. And I am not going to change who I am. I told them I'm not, I'm not going to cut my hair. It was the first thing they said. They wanted me to cut my hair. I'm like, listen, listen, Delilah. You get behind me, you know. I'm not going to cut my hair. Um, I'm not going to change. You know, I'm going to India on a mission trip. Probably the last thing I should be doing. Probably the last thing I should be doing is being Fargo, right? Um, got a lot of money to raise and a lot of things, but I just feel like the Lord's calling us into this season, and we just need to be who we are. And so part of my message I want to share with you this morning is really around why we're doing what we're doing. What compels us to want to, you know, we, we've invaded, uh, we've gone into dark places in the world. We've rushed into war zones. We took, you know, Ted came with us. A bunch of you guys have been involved. We've been in India rescuing children out of temple prostitution and uh, child labor camps, and I'll share a little bit more about that later. Uh, but now we're running into, I feel like, one of the darkest realms of society, and I'm just going to be really blunt with you. I have never felt the backlash like I have in the last five to six weeks. This is, an, this, this is absolutely on a different level. I mean, I've walked in 
three of the top five most closed countries in the world. I've never experienced the level of resistance that we have over our family, over everything else. And I think sometimes when you encounter uh, seasons of resistance, it kind of reminds you that what you're fighting for is worth it, right? And I, a lot of times as Christians, I think we have to, let me just create, let me just uh, theologically uh, maybe correct something for some of you. Like we don't, believers do not avoid conflict, we attract conflict, you know, and, 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 and like, we, we're not the ones, we, like, Jesus didn't say, like, hey, uh, you know, you, you follow me, you lead me, you're going to have a great life. I mean, you're going you're gonna to get that beamer you always wanted. You're going to get the nice house. You're going to get the, no, he said, listen, actually, hey, high five, all of you are going to die. Peter, you're going to die. You're going to go in the way in which you don't want to go, and you're going to do this. Well, what about John? What about John? Well, don't worry about John. But all of you are going to give your life, and it's going to be the most amazing journey. It's going to be full of joy. But all of you are going to die. I mean, he, he, I'm leading you as sheep among wolves. You're, you're literally being sent out. And I think sometimes in the church, uh, self-preservation becomes a God to us. Safety, caution. I mean, we've had a lot of amazing prophetic words from the church, but we've also had a lot of like, are you sure you're supposed to do that? I'm like, if we don't do it, who else is going to? Right? I mean, I can get on Twitter and Facebook all day and whine about how things are going in the government, or we can become the fulfillment of our prayers. You know, we can rise up and do something. And so the message today is really one of the primary motivators of why we're doing what we're doing. And I want, if you could turn to Malachi, I want to read this prophetic book. Um, my uh, firstborn son is named Malachi, and uh, he, uh, the Lord gave me this word, you know, I think it's, there's probably a bunch of doctors in here that are way smarter than me, but I think it's a very low percentage of women that give birth on their due date. Am I right? Okay, a couple people are nodding at me. I'm just going to go with it, you know. Um, and my wife was uh, late with our first and uh, I think late with most of our kids. They didn't want to get out of there. But uh, our second, our firstborn son, it was the dream of my life to have a son. Our firstborn son was born on his due date. And the Lord prophesied to me, his name's to be Malachi, and it's gonna be a word in due season, you know? And so I begin this journey uh, of Malachi, and of course, I, I've, I've really camped out in the first chapter for a number of years, mostly because I love it. It's, it's, it's great, fluffy, swirly, awesome word that says that, you know, Malachi 1.11, my name will be great among the nations from, the, where the, from where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place, say every place. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations. This is one of the greatest prophecies about the end time worship and prayer movement. It basically reminds us, hey, listen, this whole planet is gonna turn into a nonstop global worship party. Right? Okay, a few indicators of this happening, right? Okay, I'm a part of an amazing group, Bethel Music, you know, Little Hick Town in Northern California, and the songs that we write go around the world. It's really awesome what God's done. But just two weeks ago, the number one rapper in the world released a worship album. Okay, and my kids are obsessed with it, you know, closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. They love that, you know, every day to school, we listen to that song. 
But, and, and it's funny watching the church. Well, I don't know if he's really saved, and I don't know if, it really, if he really means it. And I don't, I'm like, who cares? He's prophesying about Jesus. He's singing about salvation. He's feeling, he was in a Texas, uh, Texas juvenile detention center in a jail yesterday, and a thousand prisoners gave their life to Jesus. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many more prophetic signs we need to realize that we're in Malachi. Like, God is doing it. It's happening in the church, but it's happening in the world. You know, and I, I, I love that, like, he's taking this new mandate. He wants to lead stadiums in worship. I'm like, man, Kanye, let's go. You know, I love that. And, and it's just the beginning. I, the Lord told me we're going to see so many more of these, you know, Mary Magdalene's that were like, I don't know where they came from, and I don't know who they're married to, and I don't know their life, but they are going to set and establish a standard of worship that we haven't seen yet. They're not going to come out of the church. They're not going to have religion and church rules. They're just going to be wild, right? And, uh, and we're seeing this happen. But, you know, so Malachi 1 is, is a great promise. You guys are on track with it. You're a presence-driven community. I love it. You don't know if you come to Burning Hearts if you're going to sing one and a half songs, one song, half of a song, or three songs, or whatever. Like, you guys operate pursuing the presence of God. And I love that. And I think that that's the heart of this church. Malachi chapter 3, you know, we have... You know, it talks about, you know, that there's a refiner's fire coming. We're seeing that right now. We're seeing the refinement. We're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing these crazy things happening around the world. We're seeing almost like, like the Lord, he's shaking everything that can be shaken. He's revealing hidden motives. He's doing it in the church. He's doing it in the world. There's a great refining that's been promised. And, you know, this is God. He's in the midst of that, right? Malachi chapter 4, though, is what I want to camp out on today, and I want to prophesy this over this community. Malachi chapter 4, which is the last few verses in the Old Testament. So the, old, the entire Old Testament ends on this chapter that gives us an incredible prophetic promise for what's going to come in the last days. It says, verse 5, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. I was saying earlier how we hear this. You know, Joel chapter 2 said the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Matthew says that it's going to be, you know, it says that, says that because of the increase of wickedness, the hearts of many will grow cold. And Isaiah 61 says that darkness covers the earth, but the glory rises on you. And you have all these uh, prophetic pictures of the, of the last days. What's the last days going to be like? Is it going to be dreadful? Or is it going to be great? And the answer is actually both. You know, we should not be surprised that wickedness is going to increase. We should not be surprised that darkness is going to increase. But I am an optimist, and I choose to live my life on the good side of that. Yes, evil is going to increase. Yes, wickedness is going to increase. But the glory of the Lord arises on you. And we're going to go into villages in the next couple days that have never heard the name of Jesus. And this guitar is going to release songs that have never been written. And people are going to come to Jesus in the farthest corners of the earth that have never heard. I, li I like to live there. That's, that's the fun side of it. But yes, it says that it is the great and terrible. Both of, them, both of these rise together. It says in verse 6, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So you have this incredibly practical prophecy at the end of Malachi 4 that says, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen in the last days. You know how you're going to be able to tell it's the coming of the Lord. Families are going to be restored. A couple people are pumped about that. Now, I'm getting this thing, you know, I'm kind of just like chewing on this message myself, and, and my wife's going to share testimony, and we've kind of been wrestling with this, but I just feel like this is so on track with the heart of God, because I am believing that every single awkward Thanksgiving gathering that's coming in your guys' lives is going to be filled with restoration and healing and hope. Anxi Americans are anxiety-filled this time of year. It's for real. You know, you see that weird uncle you haven't seen in a long time. You know, all these people are gathering. But I just believe the presence of God. I believe there's divine redemption. And I want to talk about that today. You know, you look at Malachi chapter 4, and it's the promise of family. You look at the God of the Bible, and he is consistently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see this re reiterated, whether it's in the book of Exodus or whether it's, uh, you know, in the book of Acts. You see it again and again and again. God says, I am the God of three generations. I get to preach uh, when, I, when I get back from India at our ministry school in, in Redding, California. We have 3,000, you know, foaming at the mouth in a good way. Ministry kids that just want to change the world. They just want revival. And they're all like filled with like, what am I going to do next year? What's my two-year plan? What's my five-year plan? When am I going to get married? What am I going to do? And when am I going to have my break in ministry? And I feel like part of what I love to share with them is, listen, God thinks in 100-year increments. <laughs> he thinks in three generations. Yeah, I'm sure he's... You know, I don't know if, 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 if his narrative, if, if he's as concerned about the next year as he is about the next hundred years. And what he's building in you is going to last from generation to generation to generation. You know, if you study the Renaissance period, uh, you know, you look at uh, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Michelangelo or Da Vinci or any of these guys. They were creating stuff. Churches were being built that took like 300 years to build. Can you imagine? It's like, what, you guys need a building. It's obvious, right? Unless you want to do more services. But can you imagine me coming, going like, hey, cool, I know we need a building, but um, let's think about what this place is going to look like in 300 years. Right? You never hear a church do that. It's crazy. Like, let's build something. Like, like, who in their right mind hangs on the ceiling of a building Never been done before. And he paints this picture on the ceiling of a building getting plaster in his eyes. Everyone's mocking him and joking him. But he has the foresight and the revelation to know in 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 years from now, people are going to still look up at this. Yeah. Well, this is a generation we do it for clicks and downloads and likes and buzz and viral social media stuff. And part of this call of family is God is interested in three generational increments. What he's doing inside of you is for a generation that hasn't even been born yet. It's just, and you know, for those of you parents in the room, you know, you can relate. Like I've been feeling in my own life, like my 
people are asking, you know, why, why would we do this? Well, you know, what's really shifted in me is like, I actually care about the world my children are going to live in. And I am deeply concerned as a parent with the way that America is going. I'm not gonna get into that, but I'm deeply concerned. And, and, and yeah, things may be good in my generation, but what about the next? And what about the next, you know? And what moves me to do something this ridiculous and crazy is because I want them to be set up for success. So the dreams for my life begin to diminish a little bit. Maybe we'll have a little bit of pain and anxiety and intensity and whatever, but what if it sets them up for success, and what if their dreams can become reality? We start thinking multi-generationally. Um, children have become an inconvenience in our society. You guys with me? I mean, we go places. It's crazy. Like, like we'll be in an airport, and we'll have our kids and go, oh, you got your hands full. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm like, what do you mean you're Sorry. I have four human beings that are going to outlive me. They're going to carry my values. They're going to carry my heart, and they're going to carry revival. Don't be sorry. You know, like, but it's just the, the mindset of culture is, oh, it's just so difficult. It's so tough. It's like, it, and, and, and you see it, right? I mean, obviously, you see it with this whole spirit of abortion. You know, you can see in our society two abortions happen every minute. You know what the stats show right now in America we are reaching a place where we don't have enough, like this is actually a big deal, economically, sociologically, with all of our programs. We are reaching a place where we're not reproducing fast enough to replace ourselves. People are having kids later in life. People are having fewer kids, the cost of living, blah, 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 blah. And so what's happening in our culture is we actually have entire segments of society that are going to cease to exist ethnicities and 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 I mean it's it's insane if you look at the numbers and it's all because there is not a value that is placed on family there's not a I mean it was the dream of the patriarchs in the bible to have kids and now it's just kind of an option it's just kind of a you have um I was looking at the stats the other day I could go down I won't go down this deep trail but there's something like 25 leaders in Europe prime ministers kings leaders that have no children. They have no heir. I mean, you could look at uh, Germany, the UK, France, uh, Italy. All of these major leaders have no children. It's the weirdest thing. How did we get to a place where the major leaders of the world don't have kids? And everyone thinks it's normal. You know, if you look at our place in society, we're not even discussing the legalities of abortion, which is horrible, but now we've moved past that to infanticide. And you have politicians that are promoting that it's okay to kill babies after they have survived a botched abortion. I mean, this is the place that we're in right now. Like, like it's crazy, right? And God has an answer. He has a response, and it's the church. Couple more amens. Come on, come on. Help me out here. Preaching my heart out. God has an answer. He always has an answer when the enemy overplays his hand. And the answer is your nursery. The answer is this church. We're going to pray over people. We're going to pray for a baby explosion in Fargo. Start increasing the nursery now. You're going to need it. 
I mean, I could go on and on and on on the stories and the statistics. You know, fatherlessness right now is the number one issue in our culture. Fatherlessness, it leads to the erosion of society. Fatherlessness leads to, to I mean, and they, I want to read some of these stats. It, it, um, the U.S. Uh, federal government came out, the Department of Justice uh, came out with this, these percentages of of fatherlessness and how the, the lack and the distance of fathers has led to the current crisis that we're in. And um, 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homelessness and runaway use come from fatherless homes. This is our number one issue in California is homelessness. You know what the answer is? Not go more government programs, fathers. 85% of all children that ex exhibit behavioral orders, fatherlessness. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherlessness. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, fatherlessness. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, come from fatherless homes. 75% of all rapists motivated by displaced anger come from fatherless homes. They're finishing this massive report on the every single shooter, mass shooter since Columbine. They're doing this report, you know, trying to find the consistencies and the stories of these shooters, you know, that since Columbine, why have they done these things? And they're finding the common link is that all of these Shooters came from homes where they didn't have a father or the father was distant. It's frightening. And you look at this and it's like, uh, it, it's no longer like, like th this is the, this is the uh, erosion of society has come down to this one issue. And uh, it's really hit me a lot lately, you know, especially in the church. I was with a bunch of worship leaders and um, we were... Uh, it's like, I've loved finding spiritual fathers. It's been something I've, I've just hunted them down. I've been that annoying, like, Elisha. Like, I'm, I'm not leaving you. And they're like, no, you can go. And I'm like, never, you know. And, you know, Elisha was just annoying. And just, just for those of you, like, that are looking for, 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 for spiritual fathers and mothers, uh, I would just, like, be annoying. That's my encouragement. And, 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 and not only be annoying, but also father someone else. There's an L, a spiritual principle where you becoming a father to someone younger than you uh, releases something in the spirit, you know, and that, that was a big thing for me. But, you know, I, I've, we've recently moved into this season where we're realizing, like, we are, we are, like, becoming the fathers, you know, not only just in the natural, but, but also in the spirit to, to, you know, this emerging generation uh, of, of gifted songwriters and worship leaders and, and, and leaders in the church. And so I was with some of my buddies and we were just reminiscing about some of our spiritual fathers, some of the people we listened to. We played their songs. We, we like, they gave us language when we were growing up. And he was just with one of those guys that I love dearly. And they were together, a bunch of guys my age, and they went to this older worship leader and they said, thank you so much for, for, for being a father to our generation. And he goes, hold on, hold on. He goes, don't call me that. He's like, there's too much, like, responsibility. Like, I'm an artist. I'm still an artist, and I'm creating music, you know? And it was like this, 
moment, like I remember it struck me so hard and I was talking to these guys, I was like, he doesn't wanna take responsibility for a generation. Still, you know, it's fine if you wanna continue creating and doing stuff, but like the most powerful thing that we could ever be is moms and dads to the next generation. Like, and there has to be a transition in the church and in society where we realize that, you know, that, that we have so much to pass on. And, and um, I want to read this story real quick, and then I'm going to have my wife share a testimony. Because, you know, I believe, you know, God's called us on this journey. And I believe it's not, it, for us, it's, it's really not a political thing. It's a family thing. Like, I believe we're fighting for family. And... And we're doing it because we have amazing testimonies in our life of how God's brought restoration. And, you know, only a united, restored church can heal a divided nation. We have no authority to give or to help if it's not happening in our midst. And I believe that, you know, I love revival meetings. I love all night worship things. I've given my life to these. God can change our hearts, our city, our region in those moments. But at some point, revival has to shift into reformation of society. It has to shift into reformation of families. It has to shift into less awkward thanksgivings. <laughs> A couple of people were with me. I, don't I thought that's pretty funny. I've had some of those before. Um, I want to read this story. This was actually in, um, in Time Magazine. It's a story about, um, it's called The Delinquents. And it's this story on ecology that really circulated around the world because no one had heard anything this crazy. Behavioral patterns of animals, right? And uh, this happened in South Africa. And there was, uh, in 1999, there was a problem lurking in the South African bush Game rangers discovered that a new group of juvenile delinquents had been attacking and killing white and black rhinoceroses. These were the ones that they had spent years protecting, you know. The rhinos, like there's a big issue with them going extinct. And so they've been protecting these rhinos and they found that there was a killer. South Africa's Pelansburg Park, rhinos were thriving until an unknown killer began stalking them. 39 rhinos, or 10% of the population in the park, were killed. The killings clearly weren't the work of poachers. The rhinos' horns hadn't been touched. The park rangers began conducting an investigation, and their first findings led them to believe that if they were to round up the usual suspects, they'd need a large holding pen. That's because the prime suspects were not humans, but were elephants. It turned out that young, male, unsupervised elephants were behind the murders of the Pelensburg rhinos. Why would they do it? Well, like juvenile delinquents, they had grown up without role models. This is what the lead ecologist said. I think everyone needs a role model, and these elephants that left the herd had no role model and no idea what appropriate elephant behavior was. The problem goes back 20 years to South Africa's largest con conservation area called Kruger National Park. Kruger had too many elephants, and in those days there was no way to relocate the adults because they were too big. So researchers decided to kill the adults and 
save the children who were more easily transported to other parks. The government veterinarian who originally approved the relocations said that he thought it would be a good idea. He said that he considered the possibility that the young elephants might not adjust well, but there was no other option. The intentions may have been good, but the program created a whole generation of traumatized orphans thrown together without any adults to teach them how to behave. So how did they correct the problem? Is they went back to Kruger Park and they found three old elephant bulls. That's all it takes in life. Three old bulls. And they dropped them back into Peelandsburg Park where there was literally hundreds of juvenile young elephants. And three old bulls course-corrected an entire generation of adolescents. And within one week, every elephant went into normal elephant behavior. Isn't that powerful? You know, you think about that. You know, I, I look at, gosh, I'm so moved. Like, you look at the halls of Congress, for example, right? There's people creating laws for America that never had children, have never owned a business, have never done anything in life, and they're establishing a narrative and establishing a framework for how our kids are going to live in America. It's insanity, right? Now, I'm not an old bull. Thankfully, there are a few old bulls, but my point is this is that there is a family restoration movement, and now more than ever before, like it says in Joel 2.28, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, one of the prominent signs is that your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This is a plea to the older generation. Sure, get a boat and go fishing. You worked hard. Get a lake house, right? Do something, but don't disengage from the next generation. Because now more than ever, we need moms and dads to be who they are and to stand up in a generation. And I see that this, I see this, I love like you guys are gathering all of these young people, young millennials, university people from that, 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 that are nomadic and weird and fun and whatever. They come from all these places and these people are desperate for moms and dads. And I believe God's raising them up. And I want to, you know, many of you in the room uh, may not have grown up with a mother or father, or there may have been uh, trauma, or there may have been abuse, or there may have been seasons. And part of what we want to release to you is hope for a great turnaround. Hope that there, there is incredible miracles that God can still do. And this actually happened in our own life. And I want to invite my wife to come up. Welcome, my wife. Give him the Miss America wave. Um, <laughs> and we had a crazy thing happen in our own family. We both grew up in, in uh, you know, our parents were both pastors and missionaries. And a few years ago, we had this crazy situation come out of the blue to derail us in, in our family. And the Lord brought incredible healing. And I want her to share this testimony because I feel like it's for some of you out there today. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having us. We're so, so excited to be back. I mean, it feels like yesterday, but it was hot out, and so it's really weird. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it was, it, this message is, 
just going back, he's like, can you share for like five minutes? I'm like, how do I share such an intense season of my life that was like six years in like a few minutes? But he was, was saying that we both grew up with pastors as fathers. We grew up in a beautiful home. My dad was just the best dad that you could have ever asked for growing up and really good, incredible husband. Um, and 10 years ago, we were pregnant with our first child and the ministry was just taking off and it was so exciting to see what God was doing. We were just excited. We felt like we were like flying like 100,000 miles per hour. And within a couple of months, Sean's father died of cancer um, unexpectedly and my dad left our family. Um, and we had our first child. So him talking about all this, I'm like, wow, it was so strategic of the enemy to try to just take our dads out and just derail us because so much of our connection with the heart of the father is connected with our with our own earthly fathers. So that led me into a whole spin out of like not trusting God and <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another thing. But so my dad left our family. He left just, he had a lot of disillusionment, discontent, um, didn't have spiritual fathers. I feel when he got saved, he, he had a really dysfunctional father, really, really horrible um, upbringing. And in the 80s, when you went to Bible school, they just slapped a suit on you and gave you a microphone. And you learned a lot of the Bible. You know, it wasn't like you didn't deal with healing. You didn't talk about things that were in your heart. Um, so my poor dad just got thrown into it and didn't deal with anything and didn't have anyone, you know, walk him through, didn't have an old bull in his life, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so anyways, long story short, it was five years of a lot of turmoil, a lot of heartache, um, just destruction on every level. And um, it, it got so bad that it had been five years and I was like, mom, just file for divorce, like move on. Like all of us are like, this is dysfunctional. I mean, he didn't even file for divorce because he was just so filled with shame, he just left. It was like he threw a bomb, a grenade and just left. And um, anyway, it's just, my mom just kept praying and praying and praying. We all just kept praying, but she definitely really was praying for, for my dad. And we were in Singapore five years ago and we were at a conference. Um, I hadn't talked to my dad in like two years, barely. I mean, I'd call him on like Father's Day or his birthday, because I just felt like, I mean, I guess we have to keep doing that. Like you raised me and um, we'd have these awkward conversations just with so much hurt and, and disappointment, but just like, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> How's your day? Anyway, so we hadn't been talking. We were in Singapore at a conference and James Gall was preaching and there were a few thousand people in the room. And he didn't know anything about my life, definitely. I mean, he knew Sean and I, but nothing about our stories, about our family. And he just says, is Katie Fort here? In the middle of his sermon, he wasn't even prophesying, actually. He was just preaching. He was, like, in the middle of preaching. And then, like, the Lord just brought his attention to me. And he starts prophesying over me. He's like, I'm bringing restoration to your family. I'm healing generations of pain, um, years and years of pain. And he just started, I mean, I don't even know. He said a lot of crazy things for about 10 minutes, and I was a mess. And in right before that, my dad had this moment that we now know that was the Holy Spirit where he just felt overcome with feeling he needed to apologize to my mom. Still hated her, didn't want to marry her. He wanted to kind of like get right with God, but not her. Um, and so he started driving from Florida to Virginia to apologize to her, and we had no idea. And so he starts prophesying. When he was prophesying over me in Singapore, my dad was arriving in Virginia at my mom's house. And 
he was just going to be like, I'm really sorry, because he's a good person, and, and it just was destroying him in the meantime, like, while he was living his life. So he was just going to apologize, and the Holy Spirit came, and they, they cried in front of their house for about an hour and a half. And God supernaturally healed their marriage. And in a moment, I mean, my mom, she had a lot of reason to be like, you are messed up, forget it. Like, you have betrayed me on, on levels that no one could ever even explain. And in a moment, Jesus healed their marriage. And they did definitely went through counseling and went through LAM, um, a program at Bethel. And, um, but it was, when I called him, after the, the, the prophecy, he, it was just so powerful because he thought he was just going out of like his heart, but it was just so powerful to know that Jesus was speaking to him and he was following the voice of God. And then, I mean, we're talking crazy. And now they lead, they lead marriage seminars and they, they are, I mean, I want to say like every day I'm calling them and they have some broken couple that is just longing for hope and longing for help. And I think the reason we wanted to share this day is because I know that so many of us have walked through really horrific things in our family and in our marriages and betrayal, and um, and there's not a lot of hope. People don't speak hope. I mean, people just say, well, I mean, you have the right to be disappointed and be and, and leave if that makes you happy. Like, we're all about self-protection and protecting our ourselves, and um, I think the reason we wanted to share this is that Jesus is the answer. He can heal anything in a moment. And like he said, we as a church, we need to be a voice. We need to be a beacon of hope. We need to be the answer for people that are just longing for hope. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and just like she was saying, like I lost hope. For her dad. I mean, I really did, and I was angry and frustrated, and you know, but I just, this is the season where the father is just handing out a ring and a robe, and he's welcoming people back. Um, you know, we, um, this project that we're doing in India, we have about um, over 300, 300 something children that we've rescued from temple prostitution and child labor camps, and their parents have actually sold them into this, right? And uh, it's, it's the worst situations I've ever seen. And you have these kids that are growing up, like, uh, forget not, like, not having a father. They're growing up being orphans, being abused, molested uh, by older people, and that's all that they've known, and so we've, as we've rescued these kids, and of course, yeah, we have a sponsorship program, we're providing food, and we're providing uh, schooling and education, and we're providing a safe place for them to live, and, 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 and stuff like that, but, but Jesus is coming, and the Holy Spirit is breaking in, and, and all it is, it takes is one moment, right? One moment in his presence, and everything can be changed. And most of these children, you would look at them from a psych psychological point of view or, 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 or uh, you know, a counselor, counselor would come and look at them and say, there's no hope for their life. They're going to continue to carry this pain. They will never be freed of it. They'll be paralyzed. They'll be able to function to a certain degree. But the Lord gave me this vision that actually one of these children that we're going to go be with is going to be the next prime minister of India. And that they're going to rise above their pain. And I just wanted to show you this really quick video. This was something that we did a couple months ago. Um, so this is about 
I don't know, seven, eight hundred kids probably crammed in, and we, we, um, we got Burger King crowns. You guys know Burger King crowns? Right? Oh, those are so good, right? We got Burger King crowns, and we took them around all the kids, and we had a ceremony where we put crowns on every single kid, and we begin to prophesy over them no matter where they came from or their situation or what happened to them in life, that now they were kings and queens before God. And we prophesied purity and the restoration of innocence. And I'm telling you, I have never seen such transformation before my very eyes. And so I share this with some of you, you know, that have gone through trauma, you've gone through pain, you've gone through uh, maybe your only uh, revelation of a father is one of control and manipulation and abuse. But I'm telling you, God is coming today in Fargo and he's putting a Burger King crown on your head. And he's calling you kings and queens. And he's calling us to be the generation that brings restoration. It's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and, 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 and complain and, you know, look at the halls of Congress or look at the way that America's on or look at all these laws and this legislation. But it's, it, it, we have to become the people that actually carry change, that bring change, that bring transformation. And we start with our own family. We start around Turkey <laughs> here in a couple weeks. Like we start, that's where we start. And I just wanna pray, if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray um, that this would be a season of dynamic restoration on the heels of what you know, Kate was sharing and on the heels of, um, of, of, of what we're seeing in my family as we jump into this. And, and by the way, um, we, this guitar, if you wanna be part of giving this guitar or you wanna help us buy more guitars, um, give some money in this guitar case, and we are going to take, I, I just can't wait to, I can't wait to tell all these, like, <laughs> these Indian worship leaders that there's a place called Fargo. <laughs> Maybe they've never heard of, and I'm actually going to get out a map and show them on the map where it is, and I'm going to say there's some people that love Jesus in this town that are giving you guys this guitar because they believe in the song of the Lord that's going to come from this land, so... I just think that's so cool. Um, a lot of you don't want to jump on, a, on the, did you know they have a new nonstop from Fargo to India? A lot of you don't want to jump on seven planes that it's going to take for us to get there, but you can be a part of this, and I want to carry the strength and the fire of this house and bless, bless our communities there in India. But um, just uh, if you want to receive that family Malachi 4 restoration thing, just lift your hands. I want to pray over you and, and just believe that, um, Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for how they pursue your presence. Lord, I, I thank you for the worship of this house. I thank you for the, you know, the Malachi 1 anointing that every place incense will rise. I thank you that it's just going to increase in this house. I think that you're just going to amplify the sound of worship, Lord. I thank you that you're going to use this house to carry your presence in new dimensions and new realms. But, Lord, I pray, God, for a Malachi 4 anointing, God, that you would release that over this community. Lord, that this wouldn't just be known as the house of great worship or the community that loves the presence of God, but this would be known as the house of restoration, this would be known as the house where you restore sons and daughters. Lord, where you bring families back together again. I pray, Lord, that this season would be filled with divine, supernatural interventions in family. 
<laughs> I pray, Lord, that even as we step into the holidays, and it can be one of fracturing, it can be one of rubbing, and one of awkwardness, Lord, let this season be one of divine fulfillment of reconciliation. I pray, Lord, for those in this room, God, that have uh, distant family members, that have brokenness in their family. All of us have brokenness in our family to some degree. Lord, bring healing in this season. Turn our hearts, God, to our kids. Turn the hearts of our kids to us. Lord, let there be a divine moment of where your power is released, God. I thank you for the prayers. I just feel like for some of you in this room, like my wife was saying, don't give up hope. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. There is a breakthrough that is coming. There is a culmination of your tears and your prayers where God is going to bring divine answers. And just like her dad got in his car and he drove just at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the same thing is going to begin to happen in this house. I thank you, Jesus, Lord. Let Burning Hearts Church single-handedly uh, uh, shift the uh, birth rate in America, Lord. In North Dakota, I pray for so many babies, you would not believe it, Lord. Just filling this place. I pray for the mess of babies. I pray, Lord, for the, 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 the glorious sound of laughter and tears and the mess of all that comes, God. Make this place full of authentic family, God. Authentic family, Lord, that pursues your presence together. I bless this house in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.